Chapter Eight of Twelve Good Musicians from John Bull to Henry Purcell. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Twelve Good Musicians from John Bull to Henry Purcell by Frederick Bridge. Chapter Eight Henry Laws, fifteen ninety five through sixteen sixty two. In Henry Laws we have a subject of particular interest. No musician of the 17th, or probably of any century, has been so praised by the poets, and few musicians of reputation have been so disdainfully treated by the old musical historians. I think we shall find Henry Laws worthy of inclusion amongst the twelve good musicians with whom I am dealing. His life was a checkered one. He lived in troublous days, and in an era of great changes in the political and musical worlds. Born in 1595 at Denton in Wiltshire, he became a pupil of Giovanni Cooperario, or John Cooper, to give him his English name, and I think this had a considerable influence on the direction which his compositions took, and about which I shall say more later we find him a gentleman of the chapel royal in sixteen twenty five and later on a gentleman of the private music to king charles i on the breaking out of the rebellion he lost his post and employed himself principally in teaching singing he lived a long life long enough to see the restoration and to compose the coronation anthem for king charles the second dying in sixteen sixty two Law's contributions to English music begin with the masque. The earliest date seems to be 1633 or 1634, when he set the songs in a masque written by Thomas Carew, entitled Coelum Britannicum. This was written at the particular invitation of the king and was performed for the first time in Whitehall. The poem was published in 1634, and was wrongly attributed to Sir William Davenant. Another mask by James Shirley, The Triumph of Peace, was produced in the same year. Laws and another well-known musician, Simon Ives, writing the music, for which they received the sum of one hundred pounds. The following year saw the production of Comus, the greatest of mass. It will be seen that Laws differed from most of our English composers and devoting himself at the outset of his career almost exclusively to the stage. Cannot help thinking this is to be explained by the fact that he was not educated in a cathedral choir, but was a pupil of Giovanni Cooperario. Now this musician had an experience which few of his contemporaries enjoyed. He studied in Italy, going there as plain John Cooper and returning to his native country as Giovanni Cooperario. His sojourn in Italy was at a remarkable time, the time when the first opera and the first oratorio were given. It is very interesting to be told, and I have been told on the authority of my friend, Reverend Spooner Lillingston, that among the names given in a certain record of the performance of the first opera was found that of the Englishman, Giovanni Cooperatio. This seems to me to be an important fact laws would come under the influence of cooperatio who with his love for italian music and experience of the beginning of opera 
would no doubt help laws to take up the music of the stage instead of the music of the church our composer was not however long before he embarked on some church music by setting a paraphrase upon the psalms of david by george sandys and also contributing another volume of tunes to church psalms in which he was joined by his clever brother william who was later on killed at the siege of chester among the commendatory poems prefixed to this volume was the well-known sonnet by milton addressed to laws beginning harry whose tuneful and well-measured song first taught our english music how to span words with just note and accent he was a prolific writer of songs and mask music but his greatest opportunity was in writing the music and producing milton's mask of comus at ludlow in sixteen thirty four milton was a friend and i think there is no doubt a pupil in music of laws milton's father had much music in the house in bread street and no doubt laws was among the eminent musicians who gathered there when milton's father removed to horton in buckinghamshire we are told that the young milton came up to london to receive instruction in music as well as in other things it was laws who apparently got milton to write the mask which he desired to produce at ludlow castle in september sixteen thirty four the story of comus and its origin is so well known that i need not dwell upon it the music of the mask was not published in the composer's lifetime but curiously enough it was laws who edited milton's poem in sixteen thirty seven this was published without the name of the poet appearing and was dedicated to viscount brackley one of those who took part in the performance at ludlow in the dedication law says although not openly acknowledged by the author yet it is a legitimate offspring so lovely and so much to be desired that the often copying of it hath tired my pen to give my several friends satisfaction and brought me to the necessity of producing it to the public view unfortunately we have only five songs of the original music there are a great number of places in the mask for which milton desires music and many directions for instrumental movements particularly what these were we do not know the merit of law's music have been decried but having edited the comus music after careful correction from law's original manuscript which i was fortunate enough to be able to see I'm confident that all who hear it will find the songs full of beauty and expression, and well worthy of the words to which they were so admirably fitted. I must not dwell longer upon Comus, for there is much to be said about Law's other work. Playford was a great patron and admirer of Law's. He published no fewer than three books of airs and dialogues, which contained some charming settings of excellent poetry the first book of airs was dedicated to his pupils lady alice edgerton and her sister daughters of lord bridgewater and in it he says no sooner had i thought of making this public than i resolved upon inscribing them to your ladyships most of them being composed when i was employed by your ever honoured parents to attend your ladyship's education in music laws is often said to have introduced the italian style of music into this kingdom but this is hardly correct 
that he admired and understood the italian style is quite certain his studies with cooperario would have influenced him in that direction and he himself in one of his numerous prefaces and he was a great writer of prefaces speaks of the italians as being great masters of music but at the same time he contends that our own nation has produced as many able musicians as any in europe he laughs at the partiality of the age for songs sung in a foreign language in one of the prefaces to his book of airs he says this present generation is so sated with what's native that nothing takes their ears but what's sung in a language which commonly they understand as little as they do the music and to make them a little sensible of this ridiculous humour i took a table or index of old italian songs for one two and three voices and this index which read together made a strange medley of nonsense i set to a varied air and gave out that it came from italy whereby it hath passed for a rare italian song this very song i have since printed this shows him a real humorist and it is i should suppose the first real comic song it is set quite in the style of an italian song with much declamation with some charming melodious phrases i have often had it performed at my lectures and when sung in italian it is listened to very stolidly but when the english translation is given it creates much hilarity i give the english translation whereby it will be seen it is indeed a strange medley of nonsense the title is given in law's book as tavola i e a table or index tavola in that frozen heart for one voice weep my lady weep and if your eyes for two voices tis ever thus even when you seem to sive me truly you scorn me unhappy unbelieving alas of splendor yet but why oh why from the pallid lips and so my life for three voices there is no doubt laws was a well-educated man and it was certainly one of those reasons why he set words with just note and accent and obtained the great praise of so many contemporary poets it is said he never set bad poetry and he set songs to italian to spanish and even to greek words an interesting fact in connection with his love for good poetry is given in j p collier's catalogue of early english literature in the bridgewater house library eighteen thirty seven amongst the book's catalogue is a volume of poems by francis beaumont which was presented to the earl of bridgewater by henry laws the following inscription is found fastened to the cover for the right honourable john earl of bridgewater my most honoured lord from his lordship's most humble servant henry laws the earl of bridgewater is the nobleman for whom comus was produced laws was a real champion of english music and english musicians and certainly understood what he was writing about although somewhat lengthy i really cannot refrain from giving the preface to one of his books of airs which goes into this subject it is both amusing and improving and deserves to be read by all to all understanders or lovers of music in my former you saw what temptations i had to publish my compositions and now i had not repeated that error if it proved to be one but upon the same grounds backed with a promise i made to the world though the civil reception my last book found were sufficient invitation 
for which i gladly hear offer my thanks especially to those worthy and grateful strangers who are far more candid and equal in their censors than some new judges of our own country who in spite of their stars will sit and pronounce upon things they understand not but this is the fate of all mankind to be rendered less at home than abroad for my part i can say and there are will believe me that if any man have low thoughts of me he is of my opinion yet the way of composition i chiefly possess which is to shape notes to the words and sense is not hit by too many and i have been often sad to observe some otherwise able musicians guilty of such lapses and mistakes this way and possibly this is it makes many of us here so ill abroad which works a belief among ourselves that english words will not run well in music this i have said and must ever avow is one of the errors of this generation i confess i could wish that some of our words could spare a consonant which must not be slurred for fear of removing those landmarks in spelling which tell their original but those are very few and seldom occur and when they do are manageable enough by giving each syllable its particular humour provided the breadth of the sense be observed and i speak it freely once for all that if english words which are fitted for song do not run smooth enough tis the fault either of the composer or singer our english is so stored with plenty of monosyllables which like small stones fill up the chinks that it hath great privilege over divers of its neighbours and in some particulars with reverence be it spoken above the very latin which language we find overcharged with the letter s especially in bus and such hissing terminations but our new critics lodge not the fault in our words only tis the artist they tax as a man unspirited for foreign delights which vanity so spreads that those are productions they please to like must be born beyond the alps and fathered upon strangers and this is so notorious that not long since some young gentlemen who were not untravelled hearing some songs i had set to italian words publicly sung by excellent voices concluded those songs were begotten in italy and said too loud they would fain hear such songs to be made by an englishman had they laid their scene a little nearer home there had been more colour for a short air of mine near twenty years old was lately revived in our neighbour nation and publicly sung to words of their own as a new-born piece without alteration of any one note tis the air to those words old poets hippocrene and meyer etc a sorry trifle a man would think to be raised from the dead after eighteen years burial but to meet with this humour of lusting after novelties a friend of mine told some of that company that a rare new book was come from italy which taught the reason why an eighth was the sweetest of all notes in music because said he jubal who was founder of music was the eighth man from atom and this went down as current as my songs came from italy i beg your pardon for instancing such particulars but there are knowing persons who have been long bred in those worthily admired parts of europe who ascribe more to us than we to ourselves and able musicians returning from travail do wonder to see us so thirsty after foreigners for they can tell us if we knew it not that music is the same in england as in italy the concords and discords the passions spirits majesty and humours 
are all the same they are in england their manner of composing is sufficiently known to us their best compositions being brought over hither by those who are able enough to choose but we must not here expect to find music at the highest when all arts and sciences are at so low an ebb as for myself although i have lost my fortunes with my master of ever blessed memory i am not so low to bow for a subsistence to the follies of this age and to humour such as will seem to understand our art better than we that have spent our lives in it if anything here brought you benefit or delight i have my design i have printed the greek and a roman character for the ease of musicians of both sexes farewell h l this is the second book of airs and dialogues dedicated to the honourable the lady deering wife to sir edward deering baronet during the civil war he appears to have lived in london composing and teaching his compositions for the church in the way of anthems were but few as we have seen in his early days he preferred the stage and during the commonwealth there was no inducement to write cathedral music but the words of several of his anthems are to be found in clifford's divine services and anthems published in sixteen sixty six in sixteen fifty six he joined captain cook and others in writing music for davenant's first day's entertainment at rutland house e g declamation and music a little later he assisted in the production of the siege of rhodes which roger north calls a semi-opera this was produced during the commonwealth and is of particular interest from the fact that purcell's father henry purcell the elder took part in the performance this is the first notice we get of the purcell family about whom i hope to say more in a later lecture it is an interesting fact that the composer of the music to the last important mask milton's comus should have helped also in what was apparently the first english opera laws at the restoration was reappointed to his chapel royal post and composed the anthem zadok the priest for the coronation of charles the second he did not long survive the revival of his fortunes he lived in the little almonry of westminster the block of ancient buildings in which the purcell family lived he probably knew the young henry purcell then a child of tender years and one wonders if he detected the musical genius of the little boy we get a glimpse of him in his last days from the diary of samuel pepys who on december thirtieth sixteen sixty makes the following entry mr child and i spent some time at the lute and so promising to prick me some lessons to my thoroughbow he went away to see henry laws who lies very sick i to the abbey and walked there seeing the great companies of people that come there to hear the organs the coronation was in april sixteen sixty one so laws recovered from his illness though he died the following year he was buried in the cloisters of westminster abbey though unfortunately there is nothing to mark the spot of his interment i think it is probably in the little cloister as dr wilson a brother musician was interred there a few years later in henry and william laws we have two noble brothers who deserve to be remembered with affectionate respect the portraits of both are preserved at oxford End of chapter eight